0: This is episode 29 of the No Limits Podcast. Welcome back. The podcast is brought to you by Tangle Free Waterfowl. You work hard all year anticipating the small window of time you get to spend in the blind. How disappointing is it to get to that moment only to have your gear fail? Tangle Free delivers gear that functions exactly as it's designed every time, every single year after year. I always say don't waste your hard-earned time and money on gear that only lasts a year or two. Head over to TangleFree.com for panel blinds, layout blinds, decoys, and accessories. And because you're a valuable No Limits subscriber, you'll get free shipping on your entire order. Just enter promo code PASSION at checkout. Think about how much you can save on bulky, expensive ship items like blinds and decoys. Season's getting close. You guys are going to be ordering that stuff. You're going to order it from Tangle Free and you're going to enter Passionate Checkout. And because you do those two things, you're going to get free shipping. TangleFree.com promo code at Checkout for free shipping. Is your coffee hunter friendly? Do you really know where your coffee comes from? Who are you really paying to get it here? And what are the political ideologies and agendas of the buyers and middlemen? what if i told you there's a coffee producer that buys directly from the farmer cuts out the anti second amendment and anti-hunting middlemen supports the u.s sportsman's alliance and has a great tasting full body delicious coffee hunters point coffee is that company we had paul and mike on the podcast explaining their revolutionary approach to their direct trade model and the impact it has made on the poor farming communities i would invite you to go back and listen to episode 16 of the podcast this new purchasing model has put money Back into the farming communities, helping to open churches, made health care available, and has absolutely changed lives, not to mention help fight terrible anti-hunting and anti-Second Amendment legislation where we need it most in the courtroom. Head over to huntersblendcoffee.com. Use promo code No Limits, all one word, N-O-L-I-M-I-T-S, at checkout, and get 10% off of your order. You're going to buy coffee. Why not have it delivered from a company that has your hunting and Second Amendment rights in mind and supports your right to hunt and saves 10% in the process? Win, win, win. Great coffee, great mission. huntersblendcoffee.com The podcast is also brought to you by Revelation Outdoors Waterfowl Ministry. Revelation Outdoors' mission is to help spread the gospel of Christ through waterfowl hunting. We leverage several different mediums or delivery methods to do that, either through our social media pages and our Passion of Pursuit short film series that is produced by Revelation Outdoor Waterfall Ministries and Motion Culture Media. Our uh, favorite way to share the way we experience Jesus in waterfalling is through live presentations, either at men's events, wild game dinners, or other places where sportsmen and women gather. We have been invited to speak at events all over the country, and we absolutely love connecting with our fellow sportsmen and sportswomen and talking about how God has changed our lives, not through religion, but through a personal relationship with Christ. We are not religious guys, and we stress that. We are guys just like the rest of you all, and we have found that when we are able to break through the religious fog that surrounds us, we're able to show the simplicity found in God's plan of salvation. If you have an event coming up and you need a speaker, we'd love to talk to you. You can connect with us on social media or on our Revelation Outdoors website, revelationoutdoors.com. My guest today is David Bowen of Southwoods Duck Club. David and I met on Instagram not too long ago. The thing that drew me to David's page is I noticed he ran his operation out of the Mississippi Delta, which you guys have listened to the podcast long. You know that that's where my duck hunting heart is. As I got to know David, I learned he's a husband, a father, a brother in Christ, and a Delta cotton farmer. David and I had a great conversation about something that I knew very little about, and that is farming cotton. I've been around enough farmers to learn a little bit about a little bit and about farming beans and rice and corn, but never really about farming cotton. So this, to me, was really interesting. We talked a lot about creating habitat and making properties more attractive to hungry, wintering mallards. And, David actually gave a a really good tip for you guys that hunt flooded corn. He does something very interesting with his water levels to maximize the attraction of his corn crops. So, listen closely for that tip. Uh, My favorite food source to hunt over is smartweed or barnyard grass. I've said before, if it grows in water, chances are it is a great Duck attractant and food source, and we talk about that as well. We get into what I think is the most important component of a successful duck hunt, and that is scouting. Now, I know some of you guys are probably rolling your eyes because you think you don't have to scout. We go to the same few blinds on our private ground, so we don't need to scout. You, you guys are always talking about scouting like it's such a big deal. Well, for the other 98% of you guys listening, pay special attention because. A lot of the guys that I have hunted with, especially on the Delta public ground, were good at finding ducks, but they weren't, you know, especially effective in scouting for a successful duck hunt. Now, you may say, I don't, what are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense. Stick around and listen, because Dave and I discussed the difference in finding ducks and scouting for a good duck hunt. They are two different things. Uh, We finish up talking about Southwoods Duck Club as a public hunting club. We talk about why guys go to Southwoods and what you can expect when you do go. The lodging, the meals, everything. Personally, I'm drawn to outfits like Southwoods that know what their focus is and don't go too far outside of their core competency. And Southwoods Focus is a smaller relationship-focused operation often one group at a time, uh, a max of eight to 10 guys, really eight, ten, as Dave talks about, is kind of comfy, but eight to 10 guys. And they're going to give you and your bros a great experience in camp and in the blind. You're going to feel like you are hunting with guys that you've known your entire life. Uh, That's the kind of camps and clubs I love and hearing David and his passion for the Delta. And for making new friends, I can't wait to get up to Southwoods this year. Oh yeah, Uh, we talk about that one thing that gray ducks do that just drive you nuts. I bet you a lot of guys don't know what that is. So listen for that as well as we get this conversation started with my guest, David Bowen of Southwoods Duck Club. All right, all right. Been talking, Dave. How you doing, buddy?
1: Good. How you doing?
0: Hot, dude. It's so hot.
1: It's so humid.
0: Oh, I <laughs> talked to, I talked to a guy in New York today, and he's like, "Oh man, it's, you know, it was like in the, it got up to the 70s yesterday." I'm like, "Dude, it was 70 at 4 a.m. this morning."
2: 79.
1: yeah. Yes. <laughs> With the 112% humidity.
0: Dude, people just don't. And then they come down here and they're like, "How do you do it?" The air's sweating there air. <laughs> dude i I call it air you can wear, yeah, because <laughs> like we I did a bunch of work, um a bunch of stuff around the the house, we were cutting some trees and and stuff like that, just to kind of open up some more property here, and um got everything cut up, got you know limbs cut and stacked and burning and dude, it was just i mean and, and so i Kind of tended to that fire the last couple of days and just watched and pushed everything in the middle. Kept it going because I don't feel like doing that more than once. And, man, you walk outside for 10 minutes and you you're can, just...
1: You can be in full ringing wet,
0: T-shirt
1: yes. ringing wet with sweat, like you jumped in a pool in hey, 10 to you know, 15 minutes. Yeah,
0: speaking of jumping in the pool, that's exactly <laughs> what I did. Because that's the, why... that's the only comfort,
1: either air conditioner or a swimming pool. And the swimming pool needs to be cool fresh water it can't just you know
0: dude the pool was like boiling man yeah. i'm like this don't even feel good stand under a hose because the pool's hot so anyway but it's it's hot man and you got crops rolling right uh
1: they're some of them are looking good some of them are looking not as good as we would like but that's the uh saturation of a cotton plant in the mud in the mississippi mud it, It happens sometimes. We've had a wet, wet June. Oh, man. Every mud hole anywhere around is... uh,
0: Well, we've had a wet February, March, April, May, and June.
1: We had a... Let's see. was it? End of May. Mm. Got really dry. We even had... We had to stop planting uh, at times. Really? I don't remember the... I think it was May 25th. 28 Mm -hmm. somewhere in there we we stopped planting for three or four days waiting on a rain and boy when it we waited on it rain it it hadn't stopped since really
0: dude when it's dry you want rain then it gets so much rain you want it to stop then it gets dry again you just can't that's the that's the that's the blues of a mississippi delta cotton farmer we
1: went uh we went 65 miles from the shop on a spray rig on a sprayer that on a field that we had looked at Saturday afternoon, dry enough that we'd hit it first thing Monday morning. Mm. I drove there, drive out through the field. I got to about halfway across and it was too muddy. <laughs> the next driest place. What did it come- drop,
0: like two inches?
1: I guess. It must have rained there last night, sometime during the night. Uh, and it's almost like it only rained away from the highway. Uh, yeah. One of, <laughs> one of those that you can sit on the showers. road. Yeah, you could yeah. see it raining. Right. I got down through there and I just couldn't go. It was cutting ruts and soybeans. So oh, I, I called her like, hey, it's too wet over here. What's the next place? He well, it's kind of dry enough. Called my dad. He says it's kind of dry enough down here. So I, I drove. I think I spent four hours in, on, on highway time. Yeah. Driving to the next dryest place, so.
0: But you are, so from us talking before, you're a third, at least a third generation cotton farmer, right?
1: It'll be fourth, for sure. Fourth. Okay. Fourth that I know of. I don't know. I don't know what took place back back before then.
0: <laughs> they didn't take notes back then. Yeah. They just did it. Yeah. They just did it. What, I feel like a lot of people don't understand the process. I, I don't. Uh, like we were saying before, I, I can tell you a lot about rice, I can tell you a lot about beans and corn and you know, moist soil management, that sort of that sort of thing. But cotton just it, it seems like where we were in the Delta, farmers did cotton like every third year. And I don't know why that is. Does it do something different to the soil?
1: Um, yeah, I mean it's 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 uh off, a known fact that you, you need to rotate crops, and, but it tends to be dictated mainly by the price of the crops when mm-hmm. they get rotated and how often they get rotated. So uh, at the point of planting this year, uh, cotton was your average yield, average above average yield on your good land. Um, was still the highest margin profit margin would be with cotton. Mm-hmm. So we all gung ho. We're planting all the cotton we can. And then, like a like like we were saying, the uh, Trump makes a few speeches. A couple of speculators do their thing, and next thing you know, cotton drops eight cents in two weeks, mm-hmm. and it goes from like eighty-seven to seventy-eight, and. And here we are with five thousand acres of <laughs> cotton in the ground and uh it's like yeah. and then bean prices shoot up nineteen cent or nine cents. Nine or ten cents in uh in about the a week or so after that and we're sitting here well, all we've got left is mud holes to plant with soybeans, it seems like, and uh on our uh less productive land but then he
0: makes another tweet and everything flips around. Right? Yeah,
1: just you add Twitter in the mix along with a along with the stock market, you don't ever know what you're gonna get.
0: I guess what really what really is important is what's the price when you go to sell it. That's exactly right. Or when you can book it or sell, yeah, yeah. And it's you almost like it. you
1: just gotta control what you can control and pick a price you're happy with that you can live with and make yeah. everything work out. Yeah, if it gets there, book it, sell it, whatever you got to do, and don't look back because you can second guess yourself a hundred times and beat yourself up when you sell it and it goes up five cents. Or, oh, yeah,
0: crazy.
2: man, that's crazy, that's crazy with anything,
0: that's with anything, dude. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean you. It's a gamble. See. Yeah, yeah, but uh, so do you. I guess you would say you do more cotton but I mean there's years where you just do soybeans.
1: Uh four years ago we didn't have any cotton. Yeah. Uh maybe it was five years ago.
0: Was the price They're that all,
1: bad? Yeah, cotton, well, we say it was that bad. Cotton was at like eighty two cents I believe, but beans were at like the lowest they got in two or three years were like thirteen dollars. Now mm-hmm. you're sitting at like nine thirty, nine forty, I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. I, I sold I sold beans that year at like seventeen dollars and thirty four cents Wow um you can get rich growing soybeans you don't have to make great yields you can, that you, yeah that year you can you grow can. you can grow forty bushel soybeans if you settle them off for seventeen dollars
2: yeah yeah uh,
1: but and wouldn't you when that happens, people are breaking yield records you're uh growing seventy five eighty bushel soybeans in places more plus. 'Cause you're growing on that great what what Mississippi farmers call good cotton land, sandy loamy cotton land. Mhm. Uh the their best land, most fertile land, Some they've babied, taken care of, got it well drained, laser level, all this, benchmark leveled, all in any anyway, You got soybeans on that and they're making seventy bushel acre across a a section of land. Mhm. Uh, so yeah, that was Lots of new combines in Mississippi, that, Mississippi and Arkansas. In that oh, time I bet everybody was
0: no doubt kicking it, kicking it. But it's just such a. I mean, yeah, you can have that great year, and it's just hard to get excited because you never know what the next year. I mean, you got to put so much of that away. It's hard to, uh, you know, going all the places that we film. We talk to a lot of farmers, and it's just. You know, the most level-headed people around because, yeah, this year was great, but, man, ain't no telling what's going to happen next year.
1: It seems that the only time a farmer will ever have any money is when he retires and sells out. Yeah. When he sells all his equipment that he's acquired and upgraded year after year, worked on, maintenance You know, like I said, traded and got the newer model and paid on and made the, you know, all these payments to borrowed money on for years after years. If he ever has any money sitting in the bank, it's going to be, unless some crazy fluke happens that you make your best yield on a bumper, bumper high market.
2: um, Yeah.
1: Is, yeah, when he retires. You know, it's a good life, and you're gonna you're gonna have plenty most most of the time. If you have good land, if you're not working marginal land, and you do things right and you work hard, it's gonna be you can be able to make ends meet. But there there are lean years, there are lean times
0: for sure. And you know, you talk to those guys, and you're like, man, how do you? Because it just seems like it's such a it's such an up and down thing, and you know, one tweet from the president, you know, at the mm. wrong time can just shoot a hole in everything so and
1: the end uh, of events happens, Yeah,
0: Yeah, yeah. And I I talked to farmers and like, why do you do it like uh, what do you mean I wouldn't do anything else? Yeah, I couldn't imagine doing anything else.
1: That's yeah, crazy, we, man. We might cuss it on a Yeah. On on a on a Monday morning when it's already eighty nine degrees and uh, mm. we got our airline busted and uh, yeah, our <laughs> wrench slips from sweat, yeah. right. <laughs> from sweat, and we bust our knuckles. And but yeah, you wouldn't have it any other way. You couldn't imagine be going and sitting in the office. And
0: yeah, and you know what? I, I think that's why Jesus referred to farmers so much in Scripture is just for that reason right there. Um, You know, it's just, I'm so impressed um, by the farmers that we meet and just their grounded way of looking at life. Um, You know, it's like you talk about things that, you know, if you watch the news, number one, you go crazy. But, um, you know, the things that people on the outsides of what's really important, like on the left side of the country and the right side of the country, sometimes the things that they worry about, like, you know, what color somebody is or what political party they like. Uh, we farm, you guys don't have time to worry about all that crap. Yeah. Like I don't care what color this dude is. I don't care what political party he belongs to. All I need to know is can the dude drive a combine or not? Because (laughs) my family that that's what really matters.
1: uh, Yep. When push comes to shove, it's it's
0: real. It's real the real real
1: things are all that matters.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now you so you're married you got you got three little ones too, don't you? I got
1: three little ones. I've got a seven year old, a two, two and a half year old. And a, uh, six month old little boy at two, the two oldest ones are girls.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: The Oldest one. Just, uh, she just finished. Well, so she just finished kindergarten. She's going into first grade.
2: Mm. And
1: we got the two and a half year old, and six month old little boy.
0: Yeah. I've got, uh, I've got three daughters as well, but they're a little bit older. 19, yeah. 17 and 13. Oh. So yeah. Tell me about <laughs> it. <laughs> I like that. whoo. I can imagine seven year old thinks
1: she's about fifteen right now. Sometimes. Oh,
0: dude, wait till they get to be (laughs) fifteen. It's ridiculous. They grow
1: up so fast. It it seemed like the seven year old was three. Yeah. Four years old. Yeah, man. Two months ago, three months ago. Yeah.
0: And all of a sudden, she's
1: she's almost as tall as her mom. It seems like. (laughs) Yes. Yeah,
0: and wait till they start driving, dude. It's, it's just, you know, but I mean, it's, uh, it's not as scary as I'm making it out to be. I mean, it's, it, I guess the one thing that I am most proud of my three daughters is that they all love the Lord with all of their heart Mm -hmm. and they're all about following him. And, um, yeah, yeah, they've, they've got, uh, so whatever happens from here on out, like uh, just have complete trust that they're going to make the right decisions, um, and it's just it's one of those things where it's not as scary as you think it's going to be when they get that age.
2: Yeah.
0: But dude, you think they you think she knows it all when she's seven? <laughs> <laughs> just wait, just wait. Would you would you want? And maybe and I I think I know how you're going to answer this. Like it's whatever is going to make. Your kid's happy, but would you want to see them carry on the farming tradition, the family tradition of farming, knowing how hard it is Uh, and just how many variables?
1: Assuming the girls, and I hate to say that because they may end up one of the, especially this Biddle, when she's such a little firecracker, she, uh, she may end up being as tough as any, any little boy ever thought about, but,
2: uh,
1: (laughs) um. you know this, the the youngest son. You would like to say that, and you would be able to tell a lot more when he gets to be five to seven years old. And right. you can you can see that in kids. Uh, I feel like to a point, uh, are they interested? You know, or d- does he wanna does he wanna jump in the truck and mm-hmm. go out in the field? Does he?
2: Something yeah they interested something in it.
1: Else. yeah are they interested at all? yeah it's yeah, a pretty good chance I mean, hopefully everything stays rolling uh in the on the up and ups and the farm's still around, and the operation's mm-hmm. still around, when he gets to be fifteen eighteen twenty one twenty two years old and right that hopefully that's still an option
2: yeah that, who who knows that,
1: who knows let things change life changes so fast and yeah yeah. yeah, hopefully, hopefully I'll be able to work alongside my son like a I can I am my dad now. Uh,
0: yeah, because you're tight with your dad, right? Absolutely. Man, that's good. That's good. No, you now, did
1: we, you we butt heads sometimes? But well,
0: I, I mean, show me a father and son that doesn't, yeah, and I'll I, show you a father and son that don't talk at all. Yeah, you know. Did you, now, you you grew up, like, from a young age duck hunting. Like, your dad was a duck hunter, right?
1: Yes, um, he wasn't. I mean, he he duck hunted, let's say, 10 to 12 times a season. But um, it, the reason he didn't duck hunt more is because he, he worked all the time. Right. I mean, he, man, I, I can't explain how, how hard this guy. And he's slowed down a lot. He's 55 will be 55 this year and he slowed down a lot in the last five years and he can still out. He will each and every day outwork me.
2: <laughs>
1: mm. I, I, I wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to hold a candle to him when he was
0: 25,
1: 30 years old. Yeah. Tough as nails.
0: But grew, but you, because the reason I asked you about whether you grew up duck hunting or not, because you'd be surprised the amount of guests I have on this podcast, and their story is very similar to mine. Yeah, that didn't grow up hunting at all.
1: Yeah, it, it was a little different for me. I
0: uh,
1: he would take me out. Of course, you know, wet winter time. It's there's nothing else to do but hunt. Uh, I was the four, or five, six year old kid. In the afternoon, that we get, sit on the shoulder with a the Robo Duck with the metal wing. That's mm. I remember. I remember that right with the wing nudge dropping them in the water. Right. Uh, Yeah. That going out to the little cypress slough and me sitting on either a floating log or a big a chopped off stump or something. He'd set me up there. I had to have on all these bibs. You know, look like the little the little Christmas movie kid that waddles down through the snow. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: I forgot yeah. the, that uh, I'm sitting over like that with the with the lacrosse, uh, little lacrosse, lacrosse yellow ring boots on the top. Yeah, and man. And then finally I, I graduated up and I have hip boots when I'm like six, and then seven I get some whiters.
0: So. Whoa. I remember those, uh, the Robos when they first came out with the metal wings you were talking about. Right. I remember they had a little wing nut, little wing screws in the wings, and if you backed them out too far, they'd fall out in the water.
1: I don't, I don't remember much about it. I think ours always stayed together. No, my dad, he probably welded it in or something.
0: Yeah, my mine didn't. <laughs> and, and the wings would spin, and if you didn't catch it, like if that happened to hit you in the head or something, those metal wings, it was like someone was swinging a switchblade around. <laughs> I t- I'm like, man, it got to be a better weight than this. That's why I started using jerk string. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But I know that um, I think one of the things that I love about farming in general, but the Delta more specifically, is the amount of believers that I meet and people of faith that see it every day because they work the land. It's the same land that, that God talked about from Genesis on. And uh, I I think when you are a farmer, you're connected to the land and the earth. And there's so many lessons that you can go back in biblical history and learn. But I think that's the thing that I like about it the most. Um, And I love having guys on from that region just because I love the Delta so much, dude. Like I had did an episode with Josh Raggio. And uh, you know, Raggio Custom Calls is beautiful. Work.
1: Yes, I actually I got to meet him one uh, for a moment. Uh, we were at Stuttgart. They mm-hmm. were I forget what the call is a calling contest.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I run into him over there. Nice guy, super super nice guy.
0: Oh, he's the best man. We uh we've been for he belonged to the same club or camp that I belong to in the yeah. Delta. And uh been fortunate enough to share a tree with him a couple of times just a just a great deal. But he summed it up. He said that place is just the whole Delta region is just special. There's just something special about that whole place. But what I wanted I know from our conversation before that Southwoods actually started as just kind of some some family and and friends that had different properties laid out all across right. the... you
1: just well, we just had almost just family friends and fri friend, hunting buddies mm-hmm. just all made the connections. like, look, if we have birds, the whole bunch anybody that wants to hunt come hunt with us, we'd build bee plants, we'd have places we'd line up eight ten posts in the mm-hmm. trees, you know. Uh, and then everybody, when it comes time to, uh, plant millet, plant corn for, in the little sloughs that do, don't get farmed, will uh, that are the best duck holes, they seem like, mm-hmm. um, everybody's pitching in, they're helping, they're doing this, that, and, uh, like I said, if you, if your place, and we tried to rotate them, uh, we would hunt this place on. Thursdays, this place on Fridays, and and we didn't mm-hmm. hunt every, we did every day, yeah. but we we could rotate if we had ten or twelve holes throughout the season. You know, one place has birds early season. It we're gonna we hate to say it, but you wear it out if that's the only place you got birds. And first week of December, you're gonna go back three or four days if you can't if nowhere if you're zero anywhere else. Hmm. Um. And then s- another place you will know, fill up with birds. And some a break or a lake or somewhere fill up with birds and, and burn them there. And around Christmas and move over to somebody else's place in January and burn them there for a few days. And,
0: yeah. And
1: just hop around.
0: We've been I've been pretty fortunate that been able to hunt just about every type of scenario you can hunt from. Mallards in a dry field, mallards in flooded ag fields, mallards in timber. Uh, you know, layout blinds for geese, laying in the decoys for for snow geese. And but, dude, for me, standing next to a big cypress tree in a in a cypress break,
1: it's pretty cool. It's yeah, man. It's something about birds. It's, I think it's it's got to be the way they look for the decoys. The way they mm. look for the decoys and act like they're listening to a call.
0: Yes. It's,
1: yes, you. And you know, I was talking about this with a a buddy just last night. I don't think we'll ever be able to communicate with birds with calls, but it, in timber when they're looking, they're reacting more so in that circumstance mm-hmm. to a call than they do in any other situation.
0: Yeah, sure. I, I think I think you're right. I've said before. You're you're not gonna talk to them, quote unquote. You're, you're talk not gonna to speak
1: them. D- speak duck, no.
0: Right, but what you are gonna do is convince them that they're making the right call.
1: Just in addition to your uh, yeah, addition to your spread. Uh oh, <laughs> got a little man coming in.
2: I hear that, man.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think that you're gonna. Well, I know for a fact you ain't going to make them go somewhere no, that they don't want to go. you can't
1: go. talk them into something that they, that they know better than.
0: No, I, I think the best, I think all you're doing is convincing them that they're making the right choice.
2: But right?
1: I mean, and if you're in a rice field with pits, but you can get a lot of birds in them. Mm-hmm. But if you have eight or ten mojos and 500 floaters and all these splashers and jerk rigs, yeah. nobody needs a call. Mm-mm. you just let let the circus be yes. the show that it is <laughs> they're that's right gonna, they're either going to believe it or they're not
0: you still uh, you still use spinners
1: <sighs> from time to time
0: we've just depends gotten depends on the away day. From them. it
1: depends on the
0: I mean I've heard guys say oh you use them in sunshine days you use them when it's cloudy you use... I, I just I don't trust anything with a battery <laughs> Pretty really,
1: much. I would say it really depends on how comfortable, comfortable the birds are in the in the spot and or are we are we just running traffic? Are mm-hmm. we just on a setup on a flight line, which mm-hmm. happens from time to time? You might want to, but I would never, I don't think, run spinners where I couldn't turn them off.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, because I, I, I've said the only, the last time we used them. Uh, now you know when they first came out, dude. That was a murder scene.
1: Oh gosh, yeah.
0: <laughs> that um, was like. You no,
1: know, I have to, I have I have been guilty of putting them out front until about seven o'clock and pulling them up. I've done that quite a bit last season. Yeah. Put them I, out just at that daylight because you're gonna get those those teal buds you and those wood ducks and oh my god some ringnecks and this that anyway they'll just suck into it when it's yeah. dusky dark cloudy day
0: yeah what we started doing them what we started doing with them was not putting them cuz I see guys put them right out in the middle of the hole and what we started doing is like the the best spots and and I'm sure you found this too the the best spots are the ones that are covered in buck brush
3: mm mm-hmm. mhm
1: Yeah, just a little flash.
0: Yeah, and and so uh, we started just putting them back up in the brush to where they only get a glimpse at it like just for a second when they're working the corners, Mm -hmm. and they can't key in on it the whole time when they're setting up to finish because that's usually when they will pull off. If they just see that thing in the wide open just spinning, 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 spinning. um, That's usually when they'll pull off. And so, uh, but the buck brush thing, I'm convinced that you, I- I'm not going to say it because I don't want to get nasty messages about, man, this. you're sending everybody to, but in that patch of public ground that I told you that, that you know, where I right. hunted, the best spots were the ones with thick, thick buck brush cover. And I think it's because those birds weren't feeding in that timber. Uh, they were loafing in that timber. They were watering before they went back to a refuge or sanctuary to to roost. But I think that buck brush made them feel really, really comfortable and safe. Because once they hit that and swam away in there, they would disappear. I mean, birds, I can't t-
1: birds Birds feel much safer in even landing, I believe, in buckbrush brush or small, young timber. They mm-hmm. don't like the looks of those big trees I don't know, I mean, I've killed birds in big trees, big cypresses, like you're talking about, but the last several years, four or five years, they don't come into big trees. We've killed a lot more in like young little cypresses and buck brush, mm-hmm. more open holes. When I say open holes, they'll have buck brush in them, you know, mm-hmm. six foot tall cypress tree, yeah. not these big towering 30, 40 foot tall cypresses like gadwalls used to come in fifty to hundred at a time. Oh my man. gosh, dude! I remember ten years ago we would we would get bunches of hundred in, in, yeah, forty foot tall trees.
0: You know now, what's funny know. about that? Did you say gadwall? You know they're gray ducks down here in Louisiana, mm-hmm. but um, they act so much differently in a marsh or an open ag field. Than they do in the woods, yeah. like in the marsh. When you, if you can see them, they're coming. We you have to call we, at them. We
1: don't kill a ton of gadwall unless it's in cypress breaks. Or mm-hmm. just, you know, cypresses.
0: Yeah, those the the gadwall love the cypress breaks, but in the woods, I have seen they will circle for a smooth hour and a half. <laughs> so you hear that tat 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 tat, we'll, and guys we'll are have, getting We'll their...
1: have somebody flare them before they um... end. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, it's funny because... They circle
1: five times. We, we're going to turn heads, something.
0: Yeah, yeah. But it, it's just funny because I'll hunt with guys that are used to hunting them in the marsh. Oh, gray ducks, they're coming, they're coming. Here they go. And I just uh, man, hang your gun up. Because if they do... Like, you have time to eat breakfast yep. before they will make up their mind. And it's just something about the, the woods. It's every place that I've killed gray ducks in the woods... They don't act like they do in the marsh. I mean, like I said, in the marsh, if you see them, just get, they're coming. You don't have to do anything. Um
1: well, it's right, right opposite of a mallard in the marsh. He's out yes. there. He's going to look at every blade of grass to see if it's got a gun barrel sticking out Yes.
0: It. That's what I was going to say. It is so different. A um,
1: uh, mallard looks at it long enough. He knows which brand of decoys you're using.
0: <laughs> Man, are those tangle frees? No, I'm not coming.
3: i come not coming in there.
0: Negative, <laughs> negative, but with I s I I got away from, uh, I got away from the spinners once the birds just kind of figured it out. Uh, negative. now if somebody wants to hunt one, them, that's fine, but I'm not worrying about I've got enough stuff with worrying about camera batteries and cards and, and, batteries for this and gas for that yeah and i know that i, know I that. just man i, <laughs> the,
1: I ca- the camera stuff adds a whole different element dude, i would love what are you talking about, i would love bro. to be able to uh to be able to deal with all that but and a lot of our things it makes it easier we leave our decoys out or it's just bundled mm. up underneath a blind like a float blind or inside a pit or something like that or leave them floating in the water uh, yeah all year and it it seems to work but
0: uh yeah there's a lot of guys that hunt like that in the southwestern part of louisiana in right. the rice fields where they leave their de- so much so they got algae growing on the decoys. When Absolutely, yeah. Um, I think
1: I've probably still got some few decoys out in Cypress Break still that I hadn't
0: picked up. Some of them old flambos.
1: <laughs> I've probably got some good ones out there. I the water will get up and rise and you yeah. find it find it a mile down the about down the down the lake.
0: Now, do your do your water levels vary that much oh, during yeah. the season? Yeah. Because you, you don't, I you don't have like
1: from uh, from the first from opening day last year until the end of the season, six feet in one place. Because Probably you're you're
0: solely out. dependent upon rain to flood these, or how do you? Uh,
1: we can pump some places, uh,
0: but it's know. not water control where you're like, oh, it's three inches higher. Let's pull a board out, and
1: mm, some of the places we can, man. Yeah. Like I tell you, we've had. I think we hunted in 41 days last year. I think we hunted 25, 23, 24, 25 different places mm. in 41 hunts. Um, so it's, we, is we that, go
0: everywhere. Is that family, friend land, or is that you're knocking on doors, or how does that work? Cause, dude, we, you don't knock on doors down here. I'm telling no, you. No, <laughs> we we
1: did get on a a goose feed knocking on door yeah. style, uh, and it did not go as good as we had expected. It but rarely does. We dude. killed a few. We killed we kill a handful, uh, but a lot of it's yeah, just friends, family, friends, and family land. And, That's good. Uh, things of that in that area.
0: Now, when it comes to planting for ducks? What is your, I've got kind of my favorite that I like to hunt over, but I want to hear your, your take Uh, on that.
1: Of course, we've got a few rice fields. Um, Mm -hmm. You can't go wrong with rice. I mean, rice is, rice is, ducks are consistent. Uh, But if I can go flooded corn, if I can get, if I can get corn to make 75 bushels per acre.
2: Mm hmm.
1: I'm happy and we're going to flood it up to about ear level Yep, yeah. and keep the, actually what i prefer to do, um, cause you can't manipulate the crop at all. Right. You can't run it down. You can't knock it down, push all get dove season type stuff. Uh, you got to leave it, leave it standing. what I like to do is get the water way up on it mm-hmm. for about some say November, the, 10th to the 20th, 25th, whenever season opens, or when we're going to hunt, right. leave it way up on it, even if that's like waist chest deep, get it way up on the corn, and then drop it down, like when you when you get weather, when the season starts,
2: mm-hmm. and that
1: will make the stalks brittle, and a lot of them will fall, mm. what I like to do, Now, maybe may be telling too many secrets, so. like... <laughs> But it, it makes the stalks brittle and heavy and the wind. No, this is an over. educational
0: show as well. So go ahead.
1: <laughs> um, when, uh, And if you leave them standing, the ducks will roost in them and they will eat all your corn yeah. at night. And I got so frustrated one time. Like we were just going to go in there. we had like probably, I don't know, seven, eight hundred thousand dollars, some a little, little spot. little, And they ate it out in like two nights.
0: hmm yeah you know what we did for that and i'll tell you this before i forget we had a couple of green trees that we managed uh and instead of laser leveling at a zero bubble Mm -hmm. we would
1: crawl it up on there yeah
0: Yeah. we i I don't remember exactly what the pitch of the (laughs) incline was but it was not perfectly level and so we would put just enough water to where it didn't cover the hole and it was corn we, that we didn't, it didn't cover the whole field, but when they would eat one part of it out, we'd raise the water level up and then you got new corn 30, yeah. 40, 50 yards behind it. And we worked that thing all year like that, just yeah. putting a little bit more water on it, a
2: little you, bit more you water. You got to
1: have it. a lot of corn in that. A lot of our places are only like, just like little uh, 15 acres, 10 to 15 acres of corn.
0: Oh no! This was hundreds.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. You can, you can. But we have ten of those ten-acre places. Mm-hmm. You know, we just move around different areas, and I, I like uh, it. It's work scouting it, but uh, it. I think it. Like, if you don't have pl- if you don't have birds of one on one farm, you can drive fifteen, twenty minutes down the road, and you're probably gonna find a few. Right on that place. So, we stayed. We've stayed pretty consistent in years past, getting on them, doing that, and like I said, we're we're not usually you're not you're not gonna see oh uh, was it Claypool's reservoir in no. these holes, but it's gonna no.
0: you're liable to see a few hundred. Man, I got a spot that is it's the first spot in the woods that gets water, and it's the last spot to dry out in the spring and summer. And the barnyard grass and smartweed goes absolutely crazy in it.
1: Yes, yeah, it's, it's a that's a perfect place to put some put some golden millet. And I mean, I guess barnyard grass that's sort of a natural vegetation. You kind of got to get lucky to get it. Yeah, the game it, the
0: game wardens don't want us putting millet in the refuge.
3: <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> of course. I guess what they don't know won't hurt them. Walking there like Johnny Appleseed with a hole in my pocket, just spreading seed all over the place. Yeah. But, you know, it's one of those places you can get away with hunting two, maybe three days in a row if you get in there and get out fast enough. Right. You got
1: to give them a rest.
0: We've oh, done, we, we done
1: that once late this season. We had 25 birds killed by like 7.45 before 8 o'clock. Yeah. And I'm
3: like, all right, let's go. Let's see it.
1: And we still had 10 or 12 birds the limit, but maybe not that, maybe eight birds to limit. And everybody was happy. I don't think we'd actually had a exact, you know, official bird count yet. We slipped out. <laughs> we get to the truck everybody's making pictures, holding up stringers of birds, little lanyards of birds, and a Steady back, dropping in behind they're, you. <laughs> they're piling in
0: like,
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's good. Like, this is, this I mean, is good. <laughs> yeah. You can't
0: wait for the next morning because. You know, but that's one of those things like, um, we were talking about scouting and how important it is and you guys do it different than we do because you can drive from field to field and kind of glass them and what a lot of guys don't, you know, I want to talk about that for a little bit because what a lot of guys don't understand, at least guys that a lot of guys that I've hunted around for years is that scouting does not mean, yeah, we found them and we killed one or two and... We're gonna go back there in the morning and bushwhack them. It don't work like that, Um, man. I've always found if you can just let them sit and let them be comfortable. I want
1: my birds to be so comfortable. I want them to be sitting there for seven days. I don't want a hawk to fly over an owl, a coyote to walk by in the field. I don't want anything to mess with them. (laughs) Yeah, I don't want to. You know, a deer hunter, a deer hunter to shoot can mess the whole whole plan sometimes I mean you're not always hunting feed a feed of 10,000 birds 5,000 year. I mean sometimes I don't think
0: I ever hunted a feed no, well maybe no, once but,
1: but uh, I mean sometimes it's down to 100 or 200 and that's the biggest group of the that you can get your get your hands on at the time and
0: yeah and you, but that's what you I'm saying so you
1: gotta make it count they they have to be just
3: dead red coming there on the X, and if they have any, any insecurities, they'll
1: jump around, spread out on you.
0: Yeah, and that's the difference between, like, hunting the woods where we do, um, number one, you gotta know the lay of the land that you're hunting, so, we'll, I'll have my back up next to a tree, what we call the point, and then. I'll watch to the southeast because I know there's a couple of sloughs there that sometimes they'll shortstop us. And if they make one pass over us and drop down that other little slough I'm talking about, well, there's a reason. And if I don't hear shotguns, I know what the reason is because there's birds sitting on the water. There. Wow. Yeah. And so I will, I'll get as close as I can without, number one, I never want to bust them out of some place where they feel comfortable with a shotgun or just walking up in there um so i know a lot of guys that say yeah we skied, we walk man we flushed you know 50 from here and we flushed another 50 or 60 from there well you know it's good that they were in there and they may come back if you didn't shoot on them but man if i can just find out where they are and you're like me i don't want to know the general area like, I want to know where my left foot's going to be and where my right foot's going to be. And a lot of times I'll take my GPS with me and I'll move. So if I see birds just loafing in the buck brush, 50, number one, if you see a handful, there's probably 12 handfuls that you can't see. And I will take my GPS and I'll move that point forward to about where they are and make a mental note of the trees that are in the area to where and I slip in there the next morning. I don't have to guess. I like I know
3: and yeah, I didn't we, bust we them do, out of there. We do some
1: of that if we're like on these big lakes where we have especially when the when the river gets out and it gets in these like in some cypresses and in some woods that it's not normally in.
2: Mm-hmm. But
3: for
1: the most part we're hunting holes that we've hunted before, either have a blind on or have hunted that hole Mm -hmm. several times over the course of, say, five, six, seven years, Mm ten years or so. And we're familiar with where they're going to be coming from, given a wind, which side we want to hunt on. Right. And we're just more familiar with it, I guess. We don't don't have to view GPSs to, you know, mark locations and things. but Yeah. Same same concept. You don't want to know exactly where they were sitting in the holes, so that holes,
3: holes, hole's seven, eight acres mm-hmm. in the little break in the little lake. And um, you know if they're sitting on the east end of that, that's where you need to pick you out a hide over there. You don't need
1: to... We've hunted across the hole. One of the better hunts we had early season last year, we hunted across the hole from one of our big blinds because mm-hmm. all the birds were rafted up against the...
0: Against a, a tree line, sort of. Well, yeah, the wind was probably not set up properly for that blind either. No, it wasn't. So that's what we did. Made it happen. Shot all morning. It was
1: good
3: times.
0: So. Yeah, and you know you it's what, funny. You do what you got to do. It's funny you're talking about. You know, you don't want a deer hunter to shoot. Man, there's been several times where, um, you know, we'll we'll bust some birds coming in and you start picking up and then you don't realize, but 150 yards behind you, there's been birds sitting on the Cause in the timber, you, I mean, you can't see, mm. you know, you, it's not like you got open field of view. You can adjust your aperture and see what's going on around you. Well, a lot of times we'll finish a hunt, pick up, making all kind of noise. And there's ducks just sitting behind us that we didn't even know were there. Yeah. Right. I mean, you it's, were telling,
1: isn't it funny how quiet they can
3: be at times? And at oh, times dude. they're just like, Obnoxiously, just yeah. Hens just rapid. Yeah. Quiet. Well, if
0: they <laughs> don't know you're there, those hens will be the noisiest women you'll ever hear in your life. Yeah.
1: But if if, if there's anybody within two three miles that they know about, yeah, complete silence. You can have you can have five hundred seven hundred birds over there not making a sound.
3: Right. I've seen it. I
1: walked right up on them, just sounds like 10,000
3: quail getting out.
0: Yeah, and you know the funny thing about that spot I was telling you when they were wrapped in behind us, it's because it was just loaded with buck brush in this break. And man, they just feel Mm -hmm. so comfortable in that stuff that they don't move unless you go kick them out of there. Yep. But you were telling me about a hunt you had. Some guys, and there were some redheads and mergansers or whatever. Some divers rafted up, and you're like, "Man, let's go sneak up on them."
3: Oh yeah, so it was maybe two seasons ago. It's like three, three, sixteen and under, seven, eight, nine,
1: whatever the youth age is, Mm fifteen and under,
0: and uh, whatever it's got to (laughs) be.
1: Whatever it's got to be. We had three of the. Three of the yeah. kids, like they were like thirteen, fourteen, and fifteen, and me and one other guy, he was older guy. We carried them. We were just trying to, you know, if it was shouldered in a road ditch, we Anything. were just trying to get these boys out of the truck and shoot their shotgun a few times. We were iced up that morning. We had attempted to hunt and just it was too locked
3: up. Uh, ended up warming up that day. Sun came out and uh, like a catfish pond. Had mm. some divers, some muddy ducks, some shovelers, some vagans or whatever on it. Junk and uh, like there's some tall Johnson grass or something. We're trying to let them slip through. They get right up to
1: it, shoot into about forty, fifty ducks and a raft. Divers kill one at their <laughs> as they're flushing up. <laughs> kill one out of uh three guns unloading. And I had like four tens and twenty gauges just giving it, running it to the plug. <laughs> so, anyway, when they shot at those divers, about an eight to a quarter mile back through one of the little lowland bottom farms we have. Little sort willow of some, break? Then, well, it was, it used to be an old field, but it was mm-hmm. sort of, you know, some neglected, abandoned farmland that had right. grown up in willows and just swamp grass. Probably full grass. of
0: smart weed.
1: Well, it was full of mallard ducks when they shot those guns.
3: <laughs> oh, I got it. <laughs> uh, and uh,
1: like I like I was saying, the uh, ice was tough that morning. Well, we we couldn't find where all the birds had went. We had birds all week,
3: had that hard freeze, and we were just looking for them, looking for them, looking for them. And well, that's where they were. They had wrapped it up in some some barnyard
1: grass or something in those mm-hmm. willows. Mm-hmm. And uh I mean, the water was ankle deep, knee deep
3: at the at the most.
1: Oh, that's probably, That's <laughs> about 12, it, 15 acres of it. Uh, and we just stood by them willows. Got those kids out there stood by them willows. It was two thirty in the afternoon, and by four fifteen,
3: uh, all three of those kids just shot their limited the balers.
0: They're probably like hooked, like on. Oh, no, this is this is that. great. Duck hunting's fun now. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's easy. Not,
1: a, we don't have to wake up early.
0: <laughs> no, you go out at 2.30, you shoot guns at some ducks that you don't want, and then you find the ones that you do, and then you go kill those. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. just the way it works. That's duck hunting. That's like those kids that go out on their first deer hunt, and they wind up shooting a friggin' swamp donkey. And you're yeah. like, well, I hope you know you're ruined, because you ain't never going to see nothing yeah. that big again, ever. Uh, Ryan Bassam's daughter was like that. I had Ryan on the podcast, and his daughter her like her one of her first hunts Ryan's with Sitka gear and his daughter went out and just smashed a freaking stud. And it, he was some like
3: people just, some people just got it. Enjoy yeah. it
0: because <laughs> I've been hunting, love that again yeah, yeah. I've been hunting my whole life I've never even heard of a deer that big, much less kill one. So well with the time we got left, um let's talk about the operation a little bit. What's going on at south woods would uh, talk about the lodge talk about kind of how you run the hunts, what your group sizes are, and um give people an idea of what they can expect because I imagine there's gonna be some folks calling you now
1: yeah we uh, we
3: try to make the whole lodging uh and the meals if if they're if that's something the customer wants we uh
1: we try to make that, you know, part of the entire experience, not just, uh, hey, y'all show up, meet us at uh, 30 minutes before daylight, let's rush into the yeah. hole. We want to get, we like people get there, you know, four thirty, five o'clock the afternoon before at least,
3: spend some mm-hmm.
1: time, get to know us, get to know you.
3: Uh,
1: I find it much more enjoyable to know the person I'm hunting next to.
0: Man, you don't know how rare sharing, that is.
1: Sharing a blind with or.
3: Uh, not just run them out there and, you know, shoot, 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 wait till I call shot. I know I don't, I don't want to
1: be like that. People, people have asked me, you know, can we bring our dog? Of course you can bring your dog. It's your hunt.
3: Yeah. Uh, you know, if,
2: if you exactly. feel like, if, man, I don't
3: care if it's the greatest dog. If, if you feel like you want it to hunt or will hunt with it, you want to hunt with it, bring it. Um.
0: That's man you you got to understand that's uh we hunt with you know our fair share of outfitters from time to time and um you'd be surprised how maybe you wouldn't be surprised how many just really don't take the time to get to know the people or build relationships with the people that are in their lodge and Wonder why those guys don't rebook? Why they have and to work I'm, just as hard the second year as they did the first year to get customers in there? And they're never the same guys. A lot of times,
1: and I, I mean,
0: there may be guys in
1: places that kill way more ducks that stack up triple digit ducks that days and stuff. Yeah, just, <laughs> look, just look on have Instagram, high, you'll find them. Yeah, it's it's unreal. <laughs> I don't know how they're doing that, but uh, I mean. If that's all, if you're just worried about how big a pile you can get at the end of the day, you're going to step on a
3: lot of toes and
1: really, if especially if you're you're hunting with first, first time duck hunters.
3: Oh, duck for hunter sure. Or something. Then, that, that, I mean, yeah, you unload your gun a few times, shoot, it's going well, keep hunting, you know, they're not what the sport's about to me no and um i mean of course you have these days where you burn them and that's awesome it's fun but not every day is like not every day is like that
0: so no the um the relationship part of this well it's the whole reason we made a ministry around it is right. the relationships that you build the people you get to know um and i'm just going to tell you man there's you know, I've I've hunted all over the country. My heart is always in the Mississippi Delta. Always, it's just whether it's a great hunt or not. It's just that's it's just such a. Josh Raggio said it when I had him on the podcast. He goes, "Man, that's just something special about the Mississippi Delta. That's it's 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 just a di- that it's a different feeling when
1: you ride through."
0: It. Yeah, it it,
1: it especially
0: is. during the winter. Oh yeah,
1: and muddy
3: January. Yeah
1: every every truck every four wheel drive truck's muddy with a
3: dog it's all the box same color in the back. Yeah. They're all
0: <laughs> It's the red truck. Well <laughs> it all that looks dirt, brown. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you uh what do you recommend as far as group sizes coming in um, with, with we've guys?
1: hunted with three, four, five, all the way up to eight and ten. Um
0: see man, i, would, I prefer that. The, like lodge,
1: the lodge gets uh, a little crowded when we sleep ten. Yeah. But usually, when you have a bigger group of eight to ten, there's usually enough that they don't care where they sleep. Yeah. Especially by by the time the night rolls on and the, the, the right. early wake up call, they're just trying to lay down somewhere for a little while. And uh, yeah, but we have, always, we have we have we have some nice beds, bedrooms, and stuff that really would accommodate about eight
0: comfortably. Yeah
3: with bunks and, uh,
0: and i've I've always gravitated to the smaller operations that provide a little bit more of a personal kind of service of course I, I may be in it for a different reason than other people are i mean i'm i'm in it to meet people and build relationships and yeah we'll squeeze off a couple and shoot a couple of birds maybe
3: yeah um, and, and I,
0: I don't really
3: this hasn't been going on a long time as a business but um, I don't really see it going in that direction as a,
1: we might, if we really got the birds stacked up in a property, you know, mid January, we might split up and have me and another guy take out two separate groups, If you know, two mm-hmm. groups of four. Like the guys didn't really know each other and we had two, right, two different people in, two different groups in. But for the most part, we just like to hunt one group a day. We control the rest on all the property
3: and
0: boy that's so important man everybody
1: gets to know one another the fellowship's there you come back to come back to the
3: lodge have breakfast and just it's a much better time Yeah. yeah do you uh
0: let me know if you need a louisiana coon ass to come Cook a gumbo and everything.
1: Oh, else. always, always open for uh.
0: That's as <laughs> and that's that's what I tell a
1: lot of guys. Like, look, man, we'll we'll hire a, a cook, a catering company, come in, we'll do the whole nine yards. That's what you guys want. We we try to personalize any anything anybody wants. Any yeah. situation you want us, we can we can do it. We
3: will make it happen. But I've to also told a lot of guys, hey, man, bring something, throw it on the grill. It's a uh, full kitchen.
1: Everything will be re- everything you needs here. Bring yeah. Well, you that's the way eat. they.
0: That's the way they should look at it. It's 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 their place while they're there. Yes, it's their hunt. Because I, I can't. I, I really. <clears throat> I've been to some places where everything is done for you, and you're almost waited on hand and foot. And I mean, I, I guess, I guess it's cool, you know. Every now and then to have one of those, yeah. You know, white um, glove. You know, but I'm just. I'm not I'm, I guess I'm wired a little bit different I, and, I'm not and
1: people, people another uh, funny question I get some, or from time to time hey uh, can what, how do you guys feel about someone else calling uh, how, how do you how I you was just feel, getting ready to say that <laughs> how, how do you, you guys feel about uh, or like, what, do you guys call the shot only I was like man if you
3: think that guy asked me that there was like we were shooting a lot of ring and wood ducks that day we shot a handful of mallards yeah one mm-hmm. too but there was,
1: uh, we were shooting our share of, uh, the flyby wood duck and, the uh, come in
3: 112 mile per hour ring hmm Um, and I said, man, if you think you can hit it, throw up and shoot. I said, you don't have to wait on us
1: to call a shot. If you wait on us to call a shot, it's too late a lot of times.
2: That's right. <laughs>
1: uh, and we're not going to get mad at you that you busted a grave, but whatever. It's just, like I said, it's
3: your hunt. Have fun. Um, mm-hmm. And if you want a call, blow that call, man. It's
1: like if there's a blindfold of people and you're and you're the one, you're the main. If you're a problem, they'll let you know. Yes. <laughs> I had a guy said, "Hey, man, what kind of what kind of call you blow He said, "Oh, let me let me look at it." He I got it, put it. it. He got it and put it in his pocket.
0: <laughs> I've seen guys. Hey, man, let me see that call. Pick it up and throw it.
1: I thought' got guy take a reed out of somebody's call. <laughs> you gave it back to him. that's a pretty good sounding call. I tuned Duck, it for you, you. Blow
0: it now. Oh, that's I so tuned much it better. For you. <laughs> Let me fix that reed for you. Take it out and blow yeah. it now. That's perfect. <laughs> hey man, you mentioned uh, you mentioned Gadwall gray ducks. We call them down here. Um, I don't know how y'all feel about them up there. But if it wouldn't be for a gray duck, Louisiana would not have a season. I mean that is primarily and yeah. you know what's funny is how much different they work in the woods than they do over open water. Mm-hmm. Um I I'm curious to see if you've noticed this that you know in the marsh or in fields, gray ducks they just come I mean, jetting in. Yeah. Like a lot of times they don't even think twice in the woods. When you hear that tat, 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 and they're right over the treetops. Oh, here they come, here they come. Mm-hmm. Nope. Just get comfortable. Yeah, there's nothing
1: more aggravating than trying to get some gadwalls at the trees.
0: You've you experienced that too then? No, yeah. They will circle 500 times.
1: But I've also seen days where they're coming in 30, 40 at a time on the it's, first circle. Yeah,
0: it seems like the bigger the group, the more... Or the less they circle,
3: yeah.
0: Like if you've got a group of twelve, fifteen, eighteen, yeah, just hang your hang the a, gun up.
1: A pair, a pair of gap ball and circle for forty five minutes.
0: Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. And and even like we'll have a a dozen or so working, and guys, oh, they're gonna do it on this turn. Yeah, <laughs> just you see that little hook you got? Put you could just hang it up on there and just wait and you can try every call in the book. Yeah. But the bigger groups like 30s, 40s like you're talking about. Yeah. Better be ready cuz they're coming. But like here in the marsh, dude, you, you see them from a mile off if they're if they're even pointing anywhere near you, they're coming.
3: They'll be coming Yeah. I'm not yeah. sure where they You I don't know. You, sh- you should know the uh know the habits of a gadwall. Louisiana.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've uh, made, made quite a few gumbos with them. <clears throat> so, what is your bookings look like? You got spots left open this year? We've got
1: a few. Um,
3: let's see.
0: Well, save one for me, dude. I mean. There's
3: a weekend or two. Well, a guy called me about one of those weekends in January. Yeah. There's one, one weekend in January, maybe two in December, and a few weekdays,
1: huh? The weekdays don't usually get booked up until a little closer season. Yeah,
0: well, when you I get say. that front and you see them stacked up yeah, and you don't have somebody coming in I've on the weekday. Pick,
1: yeah, I've had to call and tell people, or people call and me, tell them, no, well, we've got, we're booked up the next three days in a row.
3: And, you know, and if,
1: mm-hmm. if we don't have birds, I tell people.
3: If we're struggling, I look. And I told a yeah. guy last year, it's like Christmas Eve morning. I said, look, this, this is how it's going to go.
1: He says, "I just want to. I want to come on Christmas Day I want to come bring the kids." I'm, okay. It's
3: like, but we actually we did a lot better than I thought we would. But
2: yeah,
0: that's always a bonus.
3: Uh, I told him, I said, "I'll be surprised if we kill five birds."
0: And you were surprised when you kill five?
1: Well, we killed like eight. Maybe yeah, but five.
0: when you hit five, you were surprised. Yeah, well, yeah. well, actually,
1: we hit, we hit <laughs> five like first volley.
0: Oh, man, that's awesome. can come
1: right at daylight, about
0: four in the water. What's your shotgun of choice? What do you shoot? Super
3: Black Eagle two. Nice. Old school. Nice. Uh, well, not real old school, but 2009 model. I've got
0: a Super Black Eagle one that yeah. my dad gave me. My stepdad gave me. And he it was old when he gave it to me, and he gave it to me a while back. But I'm gonna tell you, man, we started shooting. Uh, we started shooting the new retays. Yeah, really, really, really fond of them.
1: I've heard. I've heard nothing but good things uh, from them. I haven't tried one.
0: Well, it's funny because uh, Brian Waite, another guy we had on the <laughs> podcast with Retay, um, we did some content work for him when he was working with another company, and he got this gig. He's like, man, I just. I know, I know you've been shooting Benelli for a long time, like yeah, like twenty something years, yeah. And um, he said, "I want you to shoot these retays." I said, "Well, look, I'm not married to Benelli, but we've been dating serious for a long time." <laughs> and uh, man, I got to tell you, it's um,
3: is it the same
0: or
1: is it different? Is it balance different? It's
0: it's um, I think for me the stock is a just a touch longer, which helps me shoulder a lot better. Um, and the inner workings are very, very similar to a Benelli. Um, and they're just, it's just one of those things that, um, it's kind of like a golf club. If you like me playing golf is a, (laughs) it's, it's quite the show. Let me tell you. Um, I can't hit anything. But a six or a seven iron. Period. Not just. And I've hit other clubs good, but it's one of those things where it's a it's a mind thing. Where I pick up a four iron and as soon as it hits my hand, my mind tells me that you know you can't hit this. I mean, you know better. So with shotguns, it's one of those things when I pick up my Benelli that I've killed a bunch of ducks with, but I feel that same level of confidence now when I pick up the the rete the masamari it just it fits like a glove super super smooth I like that the the handle on the bolt it's not a little bitty um, just a little bitty hook that's sticking out it's a it's a sure enough like knob that you can grab with gloves on it's super easy to work if you got gloves on the thing that I really like is you know it's a problem before we started shooting apex shells is you get some of these shells that just burn dirty and you get a lot of unburnt powder, like in your trigger mechanism, the retage you, you press one button and the whole trigger mechanism comes out and makes it super, super easy to clean. And i find found that the easier a weapon is either in the military or hunting, the easier a weapon is to disassemble, clean and reassemble the cleaner it's going to stay.
3: Absolutely.
0: And, uh, I just, I love them. that with that six eighty five or six ninety Jeb's choke, lights out, boys. It's bad.
3: <laughs> it's yeah, like a bad I said, I, combination. I've heard, I've heard nothing but good things about the retails, but
0: yeah, yeah, yeah they're good. Well, you'll, uh, I'll bring you one when we come hunt, and uh, you can put it through. I'll bring you the three and the three and a half. You tell me which one you like better. Um, we'll run them through its paces, but what? Um, We've been at it for quite a while. What did we not cover that you uh, you wanted to cover? We know everything there is about cotton now. Um, we know everything there is about hunting ducks over corn and how much water to leave on it and when and scouting and the operation. Did we get to it all?
3: Man, I
1: think so. Uh, I'm sure we left something out. But...
0: Well, it just means we got to do it again. Um <laughs> What is the, uh, oh, I wanted wanted to ask you, most of your business, you think you find you get a lot of business through Instagram?
1: Most of our stuff's done through Instagram. Right. Actually, most of our bookings, um, it's not like my customers usually, people that have hunted with us before, um, just kind of word of mouth, got out.
0: Right. Well, what I'm going to do is put, you know, all of your your websites, Instagram, and everything else in the show notes uh, below the episode. So when you go to our website, make sure you check the show notes and uh, all your digits will be there. David Bowen, appreciate you, uh, you joining us, man. And look, I'm serious. Weekday, when the front comes in and you want somebody to come... Stir up a gumbo or a big jambalaya or something like that. Absolutely, man. I love my number, to eat. My number starts with five zero four, brother. It's in your phone. Right. Well, <laughs> I appreciate it. it. Man. Yeah, you dude. I can't wait. To- appreciate you uh, hanging in with all the headaches. Oh man. Still, man. Oh, dude. Look, anything comes easy ain't worth it. So, but uh I look forward to uh, to hooking up with you this year, and we'll uh, we'll bring the cameras out and make everybody look pretty and. We'll uh, hang out at the lodge and get to talk and know each other nice. some more, and I can't, no, can't great, just can't wait can't wait to do it. So thank yeah, you so much, up, brother. You. All right, buddy. See you, man. Thank you very much, Dave. I, I think you and I approach the whole process of running a club and entertaining guests and putting on successful hunts in much the same way. I can't wait to get back up into the Delta this year. Head up 55, get back to the flatland. Can't can't wait to do it. Really enjoyed our conversations. For you guys who want to experience a truly personalized and um, friendly Delta hunting experience, get in touch with David either through Instagram or through the website link in the show notes below. Make sure you follow Southwoods on Instagram because Dave puts out some really good content. Um, We follow him too. So head over and do that. Uh, David, let this Cajun from Louisiana bring up some groceries, and we'll get to work on the ducks this year, brother. Uh, We'd also like to thank Edge Duck Boats, Tahatu Outboards, Retay Shotguns, Apex Ammunition, and Sitka Gear for supporting Passion of Pursuit and Revelation Outdoors Waterfowl Ministry. Without the help of these companies, we could not do what we do. So I humbly ask you, our listening audience, to support the companies that support us, we appreciate it finally do not forget to subscribe to the show leave us a five star rating wherever you listen to podcasts it helps us continue to keep climbing up the rankings and if you wouldn't mind please share the show with a hunting buddy we'd really appreciate that too this is all the time we have we're out of time so until next episode
3: bye bye (laughs) y'all